Hey everybody, welcome to That Will Never Work. There is a classic definition of a startup, which is a group of people in search of a repeatable, scalable business model. And we talk a lot on the show about what those skills are. But what happens when you start getting close to the repeatable, scalable model? What has to change? Your people? The things they do? What about what you have to work on? Well, today we'll be speaking with Chris Burridge, the founder of Proclamation Goods. Hi, I'm Mark Randolph, co-founder of Netflix and six other companies. Over the years, I've heard that will never work thousands of times, but I've learned there are things we all can do to increase the chances that they will. So join me for That Will Never Work. So Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. What I'd love to start out with is maybe walking me through what was the problem you were trying to solve, then maybe what you did to try and solve it, and uh, then we can kind of segue naturally into what you want to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I'm an avid home chef, uh, and I found as I got into my working career that cooking at home at the end of a stressful day and being able to make something creative with my hands that wasn't tied to a keyboard was really how I let loose. And I found myself, and we were lucky enough for our wedding to get a big 12-piece set from our friends and family, and I found myself just way too frustrated and impatient to go find the lid and cling around, and so I would just grab a skillet, I'd throw it on top of some water that was boiling for pasta, and it's not perfect, but hey, it will boil a little bit faster as a result. And and that's kind of how how I've cooked naturally. Additionally, um, I am a environmentalist. I'm quite active in in trying to make sure that our world sustains. And um, I've grown very, very tired, as many have, of just how much stuff we throw away all the time. And I hate to think about the proverbial boardrooms or whatnot, where people are planning for plan obsolescence. And just we figured we had to bring it back to basics and do things a different way. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, uh, you know, I I must confess, I'm not a big cook, but certainly I do have pots and pans. And in fact, I have a ton of pots and pans because yeah. we do the Costco set. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's a set of 641 pieces and you've got, because <laughs> you, of course you need a 13 inch pan and an 11 one and a 10 and a half and a nine and a six. And there's a three inch pan for a single egg and each of them has their own top. And then there's the pasta insert and then there's the different size pastas. I mean, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. most of that stuff we never use. Uh, and then we get the new set and we throw it all away. Exactly. It, it, and, and that is a, a planned business model for somebody who has it outlined in Excel to think about how many times <laughs> in your life you're going to come back and buy a cookware set. Whether you move, whether you have a kid, whether you get a second home, like those are the times people buy it. And our challenge, frankly, our opportunity is to take that flywheel that keeps spinning of the replacement cycle and just sit there quite actively, but say, hey guys, why don't you join us? Why don't you think about consuming differently? And the entire world doesn't have that privilege, like let's be honest, but for the top of the bell curve here in the States and other Western countries where we have earning ability, the world needs us to buy things that, that last and that don't end up in the landfill way prematurely. So the sustainable model, we could go two directions. One, we could make this pot and pan out of wood or out of bamboo, mm-hmm. which I think has some inherent problems sure. for cookware. Yeah, 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 um, sure. Or you go, this is going to be the last, basically do that approach of this is going to be the last pan 
I ever buy. It, exactly. And we dove so, so deep in, in all of the research of the materialities of each and every material for cookware. And uh, yes, bamboo doesn't work to my knowledge. <laughs> uh, there, are, there is clay cookware out there, which is fantastic, but it is fragile. Yeah. Um, and, and does break uh, quite, quite easily and also doesn't have um, distributing heat properties. Uh, particularly. Or anti-stick properties, I'd imagine. That too. But nor does ours, which, which I like to call out. Like, this is proudly not non-stick, uh, we like to say. Um, and so, that is because <laughs> as we dove into it and we learned about all the different coatings out there, we realized one thing, that any coating gives a death sentence to your pan. Okay, so for the people who are just listening to us, and just to club people over the head who are watching, um, tell us what you built here. Yeah. What did all this experimentation lead to? Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, you can't hear this in my mic, but there is a pot and a pan sitting right in the table between Chris and I. Yeah, and I'll take a moment to explain our flagship product here. This is the Proclamation Duo. Um, it, is, it is real metal. It is... There you go, hopefully. Uh, it is hard. It... I, it it is real. I told Chris he was waving it around earlier, and I said it was giving me PTSD from early days of my marriage of uh, being chased around with a fry pan. No, yeah. Lorraine, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, this, this is heavy-duty stuff. Sure. It, it is. It, it's inspired by some of the most premium cookware out there. It, it rivals the most premium cookware out there. Um, and what it does differently than, than some of those is that we chose to have the pieces work inherently together, that no piece should be alone by itself to do its job if it can come together another, another piece and, and do it better so what we have is a multiply stainless steel skillet here 12 inch honestly a skillet is a skillet to a certain degree but this is as premium as you can get and then we have a 12 inch wok stock pot uh hybrid we call it that's deep enough to boil two pounds of pasta and splayed enough to uh do some stir frying as well like a wok uh and then the and is, is that now that you're going to see my amateur cook thing coming in? Oh, and then you'll, you're going to say that the fry pan fits neatly over the top yeah, of the whole thing? It, I mean, for, for both storage, but also practically, you can use this as a Dutch oven um, and have it radiate heat all throughout. You can even get real fancy and turn it over and use it as a bread cloche and make pizza and pizza. Or, I mean, at some point, like, and then, and then, and then, like, it, the reality is it's a pot and a pan. And we made sure they could work together and we made sure they were going to last. And as for non-stick, <laughs> our opinion is if you don't want it to stick, use some fat. Butter's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All for fat and food. So I will say, as I kind of gave you the caveat that I'm not a big, uh, big chef, uh, but one of the members on my team, um, I learned last night at dinner, is like a trained chef mm -hmm. and raves about this. I, I was, I met her on the way in, I was flattered. I, I mean, it, we have more fans out there than we know, and to think that this morning, thousands of people had their eggs cooked on Proclamation Party products, <laughs> and last night, thousands of people had some sort of meal, whether it was heating up leftovers or whether it was a gourmet meal, I don't really care. I mean, they were cooking for themselves, and they were getting more in love with providing for themselves and their family, and, and we're a part of that, and it's just a total honor. It's very cool. I mean, so... Uh... It actually is an intersection of kind of two interests of mine, one of which is not, as you've probably picked up by now the third time I said it, is not necessarily cooking. If you had a grill, no, man, I'm all in. That's how I got, that's how I got started. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> but um, two interests. One is obviously sustainability. You know, I'm, I'm 
really believe in the importance of that and making something um, which is which is made to last for sustainability reasons is tremendously powerful. But I also have always been fond of that whole category of the last X you'll ever buy. Um, I just think that says something not just about durability and sustainability, but about product quality mm -hmm. and that life is too short. Well, actually, I'll tell you my theory. So first of all, what do these things cost? Uh, three seventy nine is retail spot grant. Okay. So one of the theories, I haven't told, this is a great podcast lesson. Uh, my wife and I have this thing we call the mustard theory. Okay. Uh, it's probably not a theory for the, okay, technically for you science people. Maybe it's a theorem or a postulate or something. I'm getting off track. All right. I'm going to call it the mustard theory. And the mustard theory goes like this, that if you wanted to own the very, very best house in the world, um, it's probably going to be $100 million. Uh, so it's basically about a 99.5 million, 99.6 million more than the average house. Okay, you want to buy the best car in the world? Maybe it's three or $400,000. So now we're talking you know, several hundred thousand dollars more than the average car. But if you want to buy the very, very best mustard in the world, it's only two or three dollars more than the crap you would buy in the supermarket. Mm -hmm. So for God's sake, buy the best mustard. <laughs> and I'm going to say that this kind of fits with my mustard theory, that to get the, for me to be cooking with the very, very best pots in the world, um, yes, $379 sounds like a potload, if I can use that term, of sure. money to pay for, for, uh, for cookware. But um, I'm going to have it forever, and I'm going to notice the difference every single day. And then meal. there's some reality it's like commercial in those for you, price. Right? I mean, <laughs> price does not equal quality, as we both know, but it, it can be correlated with it, and, and sometimes is. Um, in this case, we're making it here in the U.S., we're making it in Wisconsin, we're making it with a family-owned company that's been stamping steel for generations. It costs a little bit more to make this product, too. And... It is not prohibitively expensive for, for those who can afford the lifestyle. And frankly, for those who I'm sure you know many, and I do too, who increasingly now that we're getting out of this pandemic, go to meals at $300 a tab several times a week, right? Yeah. So invest on your home experience. We've all been investing at home over the last few years. And to double down on some quality stuff that lasts that you can literally hand to your grandkids if you choose to, it, it's... It's kind of back in time, kind of the Al Bean style of branding, but it's, it's what we're all about. Okay, this sounds awesome. So you've, 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 you've iterated, you've gotten a point, you go, this is actually working. Picked up on that. Yeah. I picked up on the fact that you've got thousands, uh, tens of thousands, thousands hundreds. Of, you know, in, in, in to, to, I mean, if we can, I mean, it, our, the reception's been amazing. So my co-founder, Tony, Leo, and I, uh, he's a product designer, industrial designer, uh, used to work at Williams-Sonoma Pottery Barn for decades. Um, I got my chops in the e-commerce world by my time at Casper, serving as general manager there, and um, really obsessed on, on the decision of cohorts of people choosing to buy different products, and especially at home. And with my passion for sustainability, for creating real quality products, this led me to, to cookware. And the response that the two of us have found has been incredible. Uh, Food & Wine has named us a game changer. We've gotten three different internationally acclaimed design awards for this product. And we, um, as you alluded to in your intro, have had enough sort of product market fit, success, traction, those things that you yearn for that um, 
we can expand this business and we are going to pull this into a, a, a full line with, with multiple sizes. We're launching with a national retailer. All right. So things are, you're crushing it. I, I you know, we, I, we're trying our best. What's the problem? What can I help you with? Yeah. So um, really what I wanted to dive into you was, was sort of the culture side of the business, but really the people side of the business, which I think leads to culture and thinking about the personality types that we've had that have helped us to date and the personality types that we need to hire for as we scale and recognizing that they may not be the same, but hopefully you have some continuity and in, in, in all of those things, right? So I guess very specifically, um, we are building a team now and we're lucky enough to be building a team in 2022 when we can have a contractor for every single thing we could possibly think of and we could have a SaaS app for most everything too. And so we need to choose which specific roles and specific personalities are going to be part of the lean team at the, the core of this. So how many employees do you have now? Uh, as of yes, as of Monday, we have four. Is that because someone left or someone no, no, joined? No, we hired somebody. We hired <laughs> somebody. This is a big deal for us. We're growing. So yeah. wow, the 33% increase. Exactly. You, you're, yeah. At this rate, you're going to have tens of thousands of people at <laughs> exactly. uh, the end of the year. And scientists, I know I got that wrong too. <laughs> Just trying to preclude all the hate mail. Um, so listen, it's, it's a great question. And it's one that I think everyone struggles with when they're in the situation, which it sounds like you're in, which is uh, you get that, holy crap, it's working. Um, right. We have more stuff to do than my team can, uh, can deal with right now. And so all of a sudden you begin saying, how do I expand it? And you're right that these days um you could outsource every single possible piece of the business. I mean, there's apps and that'll do that'll do payroll those ones that will do inventory management there are ones that will do shipping and receiving i mean Everything. you're right every single piece can be put out out of it so there are is a basic formula i was going to say there's probably a couple things but um, there's a basic one which is and i hope you're already doing this but number one is you really have to very consciously decide which categories will make the difference between having a great employee and an average employee. And clearly that's not all of them. Mm -hmm. So for example, just to pick a random one, you go, okay, my account's payable, my ability to handle. So if you said the key differentiator of my business is that I'm running on a half a percent margin, okay? I am incredibly good with yeah. cash. <laughs> In other words, yeah. I have to be really good with cash. If I make a mistake, um, I'm out of business because I'm running a really... Then you go, wow, having a really good accounts payable person could be the difference between success or failure because they really have this intuitive sense of who do I pay next? Who do I pay when? How do I figure out how to pay half the invoice? It's a very integral part of what your business might be. And I pick that consciously because I go, that probably has very little to do with what's critical for you. I mean, it reminds me of my bootstrapping days, but no, not, not, yeah, no. Well, it probably was critical to bootstrapping. And so you didn't hire someone, you did it yourself. That's true. You go, I need to be incredibly careful with my cash. Not only am I not going to give this out to an app, I'm going to, which pays things automatically. Uh, I'm going to, not even going to hire someone to do it. I'm going to do it myself. It's so important. But that's the point. Whereas there's, Exactly the point. There is other aspects of your business where if you can do an exceptional job versus a decent job, 
makes a tremendous difference um, in the business. Mm -hmm. So for example, and again, I'm, my familiarity with your business is now limited to being 22 minutes, 25 seconds long. Your quick study. Yeah, it's, it's that I go, probably you have a unboxing experience, which you think is important that someone is buying this last piece of cookware they're ever going to have and how it feels at that one moment where this thing arrives in the mail or they get it home from the store. Mm -hmm. And so you go, having this person who is my production person, who is in charge of what is my materials, how does it fit, what's the fit and finish, when it comes back, do I reject every seventh or eighth carton, is it packed perfectly, mm -hmm. that could be the thing that you go, this does make a huge difference in it. So that's the first rough screen is you pick those handful of things that are critical for you to have the very, very yeah. best you can have. And you get, you, you push everything else out and you recognize I'm not going to worry about it. I am going to say, I'm going to use an app which pays everything automatically. Uh, I just set a dial as it aged by, you know, X days or, and, and fine, I'll make mistakes. I'll pay things that should have been paid. It's not going to kill me. But yeah. the bandwidth that you, sir, you solve as a leader of having to supervise someone, the overhead of having to hire someone and manage people, nah, not worth it. Yeah. Whereas in some areas, um, it's a critical one. The other interesting thing is as you're picking people for these next key roles is you are still at the point where I think flexibility is critical. Again, I'm not 100% positive because it could be you go, done. I, no, I think you are correct. I mean, <laughs> flexibility is everything. I mean, we need personalities that, that are willing to do things that are far, far outside of their job description. Exactly. And I think what you're looking for is just when you began going through your process, you start at the very beginning with the sense and you had someone make a prototype and it came back and it wasn't good and you no you changed stuff send it out another prototype how many about how many prototypes did you go through to get to oh, this one a score i mean 50 probably we, we, we mean thankfully free printing exists so we can do it cheap and we do it quick and so we, we used every modern technology we could to make a age-old product yeah 50 i think that's a pretty right. good number i mean it's a it's a classic situation and that's hardware uh, where you're limited to how many uh, iterations you can do compared to a software or services yeah. where you do 500 or 5,000 sure. iterations. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would benefit from thinking about their hiring the same way. Not perhaps in the way you mine might flash to. We mean, I, I'll just keep hiring people and then if I don't like them, I discard them and hire another one and do that 50 times. I'm saying no, that you begin to recognize that my design is going to have to change. And so when you did this design, you did not say, you did not call up the fabricators in Wisconsin and go, build me one. Right. You said, I'm going to do one down and dirty and I'm going to do it quick and cheap because I know I'm going to be flexible. And in other words, as you're hiring people, I think you would not be looking at this production person you're hiring and say, tell me all your experience in evaluating paper stock and tell me your attention mm -hmm. to detail and how it nestles in the box. And Yes, that's important, but at this stage, more fundamentally, you're say, asking yourself, what happens if two weeks from now I say, hey, we changed our plan, and now you're doing something different? Mm -hmm. How would that person do at that? Yep. And 
it's a critical, critical thing for the exact same reason that you don't want to final. You don't want to say, "I did some CAD cams. Make me five thousand of them." Yeah, it's the same reason. It's I think it's the exact same approach when you're hiring. So, in a nutshell, it's pick the key things and push out as much as you can. Mm -hmm. And even for the key things, until you have this elusive, repeatable, scalable model, or in your case, I'd probably say it's more product market fit, um, I would be really favoring flexibility in the types of people that you bring in who are totally comfortable doing different things and not just have the mindset that, and the talent to do different things, but have the attitude mm -hmm. that when you come in and say, you know that thing you worked on for a month? Uh, we're not canceling it. We're not canceling it. <laughs> yeah. And have them rather than sulky and bummed, they get excited because now they get something I mean, it, new it, and it, cool to work on. I love that you've described like a number of our team members now. I mean, one just joined this week, so we'll, we'll see. I promising thoughts. Uh, but but those who are on board, I mean, it, it really you've you've experienced this. But to, to see people come together towards a common goal and, and to go through ups and downs with it, it's just the most rewarding thing possible. A follow up question, if I if I might. During your days of serving as CEO at Netflix, how did you surround yourself specifically with staff to support your needs? I mean, I ask that in a time where personal assistants aren't totally common, but do exist, uh, and just trying to figure out the increasing complexity of the business that inherently like, your day doesn't get longer. So I think I'm allowed to ask this, but Chris, how old are you? I'm uh, 36. Okay. So there's your past, I th in my opinion, this point where you have a pretty honest understanding of who you are, yep. uh, which, I, which your strengths, your weaknesses, your style. Um, if you had said you were 26, I would have given you a different answer. So tune in to some future podcasts where I do this with someone who is 26. <laughs> but for someone like yourself, Chris, who does have a good sense of who you are, the answer is, you've got to figure that out to work with you. So when you say, how did I do it? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, did, I did Netflix when I was 38. And it, was my, it wasn't my first startup by any means. Mm -hmm. So I learned quite a long time ago what my style is. And my style is, I don't know how to follow through. I, have, I, don't, have, I don't have ADHD in a diagnosed sense. I have a really hard time staying focused on the same thing to follow through all the details. It's just not who I am. Um, and so the people that I chose to surround myself with are people who have the skill that I lack, mm -hmm. which is an attention to detail. Mm -hmm. They are people who recognize there's tons and tons of little things. Mark has this great idea. Yeah. We're gonna do this. And I'm really good at that. And then I'm off to the next thing. And then someone else has to basically go through it. And, and that's me. I mean, I, yeah, I, I can I can relate to that. And, and in reading your book, I, I related to to much of. I mean, I, I am ADD diagnosed, so, so, so <laughs> there I went up go. there. But um, yeah, no, it, it is. It, it's an adjustment to become comfortable with supporting people or having people to support those tasks, it, uh, especially coming off of a bootstrap period where austerity was the name of the game, and like we all had to do it. 100%, you know? Well, I'm going to answer the I'm going to push it back to you the exact same way I was talking about how you decide to hire people, which as I was saying before, if you remember, it's you pick these the handful of things that have the highest benefit 
from you having a great person versus an average person. So as you're looking at what you do all day, as you look at what you did this week, as you review your to-do list for the month, it's entirely appropriate to look at the list the exact same way and say, what are all the things that I worked on that wouldn't have made a difference if someone did them half as well as I did? Mm -hmm. What are the ones that I had to be involved in? And if you are a, like a product guy, then every minute you can take something off your plate that's not product that you can then reallocate to product. You mm -hmm. got a, huge increase in the in the efficiency and productivity and likelihood of success um of the company absolutely and you know i i the, the company that i did after netflix um called looker uh oh. the, the, the the data analytics platform uh, what's that the data analytics yeah, that, that's oh, it we I, I i'm familiar with it oh there you go yeah we, it was casper a customer i it guess was. Yeah. yeah yeah so uh, but the the um person who was the kind of the real genius behind it. Started off wanting to be the CEO um, and then didn't take long to realize two important things, which is number one, he didn't like it. That was the <laughs> fundamental piece of it. But the second thing is he found himself doing things all day that he wasn't very good at and even more critically was taking him away from the thing that he was arguably one of the very best in the world at, which was this genius product mm -hmm. mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that became not just him saying, how do I use my day better? It became a company strategy about how do we take Lloyd and put him in a position where he can spend as much of his day thinking about the genius innovations yeah. in our product that we can. Yeah. And it, so it, it clearly, and for his case, it meant not being CEO. It meant not being even an engineering manager. It meant being someone who was able to truly be a product visionary. Yeah. I mean, still, still board chair. So this is not like he sacrificed some sense of this being his company, but yeah. took it to the extreme of saying, what is the thing that I'm really uniquely suited Especially to Especially to keep the company forward looking because I mean, we are a cookware company today, right? But we're not a cookware company tomorrow or even like now, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're proud of this product. We love this product. We're expanding into additional sizes to fit more lifestyles. But when you think about our expanded proclamation of uh, putting an end to planned obsolescence, it, it really, you look around the house and you think about all these things that people bring into their homes that are disposable when they really shouldn't be. And uh, in this world where people wear their Allbirds shoes and save up to buy their Teslas, they, they walk into homes full of crap. And <laughs> we want to fix that. And, and so, so I, I, your point's well taken and, and where my head goes is, is the excitement of defining those new products, figuring out those new supply chains, figuring out how we can frankly educate customers and get them excited and to aspire to premium brands that, that do last. So I'll, get, I'll give you the one last coaching tip for this. And it's, very hard transition for someone who has gone through a bootstrap period and who has largely through this force of vision and gotten something to happen is the letting go. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really hard, it, which is this recognition that when you say this particular thing does not benefit from being best in class mm -hmm. and we walk away from paying attention to it. You have to like, okay, 
take a deep breath, I'm going to let something suck. Mm -hmm. And I have to recognize that there is a corresponding astounding excellence that came from me not wasting my time on every single detail in the company and getting everything right. It's one thing uh, I'm trying to have my my North Star motivation personally these days to be making it bigger than me so it can be bigger than me, you know, it it outlasts me and all those things. And um, I really related in in your book towards the end, you, you mentioned how a idea is not yours for very long. It becomes shared almost immediately and it's true and, and people own it and adapted and, and it becomes something bigger. And I'm, I feel like I'm just starting to see that. And it's, it's amazing, but it is hard to look at. It is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's letting, I think the, that's the big lesson is you got to do all the things we've, that's the sum up for today for all these things you've got to let go. I mean, you've got to let go of certain areas where you thought were so critical and you had to have your hands on. You have to let go of whole areas of the business, which are not the critical ones that you have to get right. You have to be able to have recognized that I'm going to have a, a hire some, I'm going to hire someone mm-hmm. who is going to get one thing right and other things wrong. Um, it's a, it's an, what you, their speed at which you move forward, uh, some is how much you're willing to leave behind too. Yeah. Well, well, Chris, this is really exciting. Um, I now, you know, I, now I'm going to have to get a really nice, uh, We'll send you set. One, sure. <laughs> Whoa, see, there's a yeah, benefit there to being go. a podcast host. Yeah. Uh, but we also owe me, besides a pot and pan, is uh, I want to come back and, uh, and hear how your, um, uh, your transformation uh, has gone. I, I'd love to. I'd love to keep you abreast of it and come on back and share some updates. That'd be fantastic. Well, listen, thanks, Chris, for coming on. Thank you. Good luck. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoy hearing about the topics in the show, why not read the book that inspired it? the paperback edition of That Will Never Work, The Birth of Netflix and the Amazing Life of an Idea is out now for purchase online and in all good bookstores. And check out my socials for some awesome book giveaways. And did you know there's also a video version of what you heard today? Check it out at YouTube forward slash Mark Randolph. There's new episodes every Tuesday. Want to be a guest on the show? Head to markrandolph.com forward slash guest. And while you're there, Add your name to my mailing list. Hilton Media Group.